The word of the Lord from Exodus chapter 32. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down, for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people. And behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, in order that I may make a great nation of you. But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say, with evil intent did he bring them out, to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven. And all this land that I have promised, I will give to your offspring, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. Then Moses turned and went down from the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, tablets that were written on both sides, on the front and on the back they were written. The tablets were the work of God. And the writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. When Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, There is a noise of war in the camp. But he said, It is not the sound of shouting for victory or the sound of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing that I hear. And as soon as he came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot. And he threw the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf that they had made and burned it with fire and ground it to powder 
and scattered it on the water and made the people of Israel drink it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I will grant to the Israelites that they have been through a lot. They were slaves in Egypt. They suffered tremendously at the hands of their captors. They saw a lot of death. They had some harrowing moments as their deliverance took place. And now they're camped in a desert far from anything they've ever known before. Talk about disorienting. I've walked through airports in foreign countries with a ton of nerves because I knew that I was out of my element. That in mind, I can understand the golden calf. It's inside of me and you. You're in a high-stress situation where you go into make-the-pain-go-away mode. And it's easy to be dissatisfied with God saying that He will be with you through the suffering and that He will use it for your good. It's easy to be agitated enough that you don't even bother to think about what God might be saying or doing. When you just want the pain to go away, you're tempted to grasp at something else that promises a quick rescue. You can get back to God later, His usual way of doing things once life gets settled down again. And that's usually dealing with a lot less stress than being delivered from captivity and murder in a foreign country. This, by the way, is why you want to keep feeding your faith and keeping it strong before trouble comes. Because a strong faith is more likely to hold on to Christ in trouble, while weak faith is prone to be outvoted by anxiety looking for other solutions. Rest assured, during trouble, God will not stop speaking and God will not stop helping. That's certainly the Israelites in Exodus 32. They're in a strange wilderness. Moses has disappeared. And they're fearful of what's going to happen next. But honestly, they shouldn't be. They should remember what God has done already. He's shown his power over Pharaoh with a series of mighty plagues, the last of which was the Passover. He's delivered Israel through the Red Sea and drowned the Egyptians who were pursuing to kill them. And for the Israelite who is saying, well, yeah, but what has God done for me lately? An appropriate response would be, well, you know, bread did literally fall from heaven just this morning. And if you'll just look up the mountain, you'll see that God is nearby in that glorious cloud. That's not good enough for the Israelites. And so they demand that Aaron make some gods for them to worship. They contribute their gold jewelry, and he comes up with a golden calf. He then declares that the calf has brought them up out of Egypt, which is tragically comical. It's not good enough for the people that Yahweh has brought them out of Egypt, so they want another god. So Aaron gives them a calf that must be legit because he says it brought them out of Egypt. And because it brought them out of Egypt, it must be good enough to worship. Plus, of course, worshiping the calf means decadent feasting, followed by play, by which I don't mean monopoly. I've said it before, I'll say it again, don't expect evil to make sense. Evil will do whatever it takes to justify itself. 
up on the mountain, God sees the idolatry and proposes to Moses that he wipe out the children of Abraham and start a new chosen people with Moses as the patriarch. Moses objects. He reminds God that he's promised that Israel will be his chosen people. The Lord relents from the disaster he's proposed. Having pled with God, Moses goes down the mountain, stops the dancing, grinds up the calf, adds water, and makes the people drink it. It makes a poor meal, and gold being an inert metal, the people will have opportunity to look upon their false god once again in a couple of days if they really want to. We could also note that, ironically, all of this happens below the mountain where God is carving his commandments on stone tablets for them, beginning with, you shall have no other gods. The small catechism explains what this means by saying, we should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. This certainly plays out in the sins of the Israelites. They are afraid of what will happen next, perhaps afraid of the lack of control, and their fear of the unknown is greater than their fear of God's wrath, so they call upon Aaron to craft a golden calf to trust in. Now that they have a golden calf to trust in, they have a God that they can love because it lets them do what they want to do. And as it turns out, they love to feast and dance and play, by which I still don't mean monopoly. So they have a God. And for the moment, with their fear allayed, they love it and they trust it and things appear to be going well. But please note... When Moses shows up to grind it into powder, it can't lift a hoof to defend itself. It's a lump of dead metal. Lumps of metal do not hear prayers. They do not act. They do not promise. They cannot make bread fall from heaven or make the walls of Jericho fall down. And they certainly cannot raise you from the dead. Bear in mind that God does not oppose false gods because he hates competition or feels threatened by them. God hates false gods because they give false hope. False gods cannot raise you from the dead, and the one true God would have you live forever. You will be tempted by gods of fear. Afraid of some change in life, you want to create a God that assures you everything will go your way and that the true God is mean if he has other ideas. You'll be afraid of losing status or people if you remain faithful to the Lord, and so you will turn status and people into idols. But status and people cannot raise you from the dead. You'll be tempted by gods of love. You will always be tempted to love your loved ones more than God, and so you will be offended by God if they suffer some affliction or worse. You may well be tempted to give your heart to another who then calls upon you to choose between them and God. Should a child go astray, you will be tempted to justify your child's sin rather than pray for their repentance. But none of these people can raise you from the dead. On the other hand, Christ has died that all of these might repent and be forgiven and rise again to everlasting life.
you will be tempted by gods of trust. You will want to trust science and medicine more than God, rather than thanking Him for those gifts and using them under His guidance for your good. You will want to trust your accomplishments, your possessions, and your wealth to take care of you, rather than the one who provides them. Every day, you will find yourself trusting your own wits and wants over God's word and will. But remember, neither you nor your things can raise you from the dead. And this is why God forbids false gods. It's for your good because they can't save you. You really have no excuse, by the way. As Romans 1 points out, the proof is all around you in creation, both that God is at work and that false gods don't save. Furthermore, God preserves his word so that you might know of him and know of his grace. In contrast, then, to the golden calf, and in contrast to your golden calves, I present to you the incarnate Christ. Quite simply, where sinners fashion a dead lump of gold and then expect it to save them, God fashions himself in human form to save sinners and make them alive. Conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary, the one whose birth you'll soon celebrate, he makes more use of a manger than a fake calf ever could, and he does it for your salvation. He goes on from Bethlehem to live a perfect life. He fears, loves, and trusts his Father perfectly, not just on the good days when it's easy, but on the worst of nights and days, like a night in Gethsemane and the following day on Golgotha. Knowing the fearsomeness of God's wrath for sin, he has no desire to drink that cup of wrath and prays that it might pass from him. Nevertheless, he trusts his Father perfectly, goes to the cross, and suffers that wrath anyway, in your place, for your salvation. Why? Because his love for his Father is perfect, and so he desires to serve him perfectly. And because his love for you is perfect, so he desires to save you from your sin. So he dies, and then he rises again. And then he ascends into heaven where he lives and reigns forever. And if he lives and reigns forever, he can raise you from the dead too. This, by the way, is why some of the details in Exodus 32 might sound a little bit strange. When Moses reminds God of his promises and God relents from destroying Israel, the lesson is not that the Lord has an off day now and then where he forgets his promises and you've got to talk him out of destroying you. No, the Lord has this story unfold this way to point to Christ. For Moses, there is a type of Christ, your intercessor and high priest, who intercedes on your behalf before his Father's throne. Were it not for Jesus, you would suffer God's wrath and be done. But there is Jesus, who has suffered that wrath, shed his blood, and risen again, pleads your case. God, who remains just, justifies you for his sake. As Moses came down from the mountain to a rebellious people, 
So Christ came down from heaven and dwelt among his own, though his own received him not. As Moses continued to lead the people to the promised land, so Christ continues to lead you until you arrive in his kingdom and glory. And while Moses ground the calf to powder and fed the people their God, Jesus feeds you with the body and blood of the one true God. But instead of passing through and accomplishing nothing, his holy supper strengthens and preserves you in the one true faith unto life everlasting. In Holy Communion, the one true God in the flesh is at work to raise you from the dead. Dear friends, the first commandment is not an easy one to keep. Daily you will fear, love, and trust things more than God and before you know it. Daily then, repent. Not because you need to appease an angry God but because the one true God is the one who has saved you by dying in your place. Daily turn from turning people and things into idols, and instead commend them to the Lord who has provided them and preserves them too. Repent and rejoice, because the one true God took on flesh to save you, and he pours out upon you grace upon grace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.